Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Wise Content. Hello, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Wise Content Creates Wealth. You've heard that content is king. Well, wise content rules the world. This podcast podcast is about understanding how you can make and utilize wise content to improve your company's bottom line. I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, and I am a marketing technology expert who has built multi-million dollar companies, and I'm also an award-winning content producer. My company is Galileo Tech Media, a leader in providing wise content and smart SEO. Our wise content is all types of content that incorporates semantic science, behavioral science, AI, and data to make content that converts better and gets better rankings in the search engines. On our agenda today is obstacles to to making decisions uh, and how to overcome them. And uh, today's guest is Dr. Dave Popple, who is an expert at obstacles. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Popple is a corporate psychologist and president of the SciNet Group. He is an expert commentator on workplace psychology and a consulting producer for business-based reality TV shows. He's also a personal friend, as you can see. (laughs) First, I'm going to talk about some obstacles I have in deciding on ideas for content. Now, at this point, I'm writing blog posts and have two different podcasts going a week, and I need help all the time for, uh, you know, creating ideas. So, uh, you know, when I was doing the, starting to do writing and doing blog posts, I, uh, you know, I, I found out that uh, I am not particularly well managed, and, and it's why I have a, a COO for my company, because they can make sure the wheels turn on, on, on the tracks on time. But um, I, uh, I uh, found that I, putting deadlines in place for me, like having two podcasts a week, helped me uh, in, the, in, the, in the process of creating podcasts. So it gave me a deadline. And my guests helped dictate the nature of the content. Another thing I do is I use online tools. And my tool tip of, the, of, the, of this week is statista.com. Okay? That's S-T-A-T-I-S-T-A. And it's a leading provider of market and consumer data. But you can get actually a free account with them. Uh, and there's also accounts a little bit more um, uh, accessibility that, that are very reasonably priced. And Statistic.com consolidates statistical data on over 80,000 topics from more than 22,000 uh, resources. And it makes it available in multiple languages. I use this by putting search terms in a, into a search box on their site. And this will pull the titles of many research port, reports and charts. For example, I went and played today. I, did, I, did, I entered in content marketing uh, uh, 2021, and I got many results, including uh, results saying most valuable content marketing types for moving prospects through the sales funnel according to B2B marketers in the United States in 2019. That is relevant to what I, you know, my business is, and it's also close enough in time that it makes sense to talk about it. And it was a survey among B2B marketing professionals in the United States, uh, which found that according to 55% of the respondents, what you might expect, they talked about articles and blog posts. But the second most important piece of type of content, which was 43%, said that reviews and customer testimonials help 
move their prospects through the B2B sales funnel. So for me, that isn't great information to support a blog post on social proofing or to go out and get a guest for a blog post about social proofing. Um, uh, I tried another uh, random search to get interesting information. So I entered in funny content <laughs> and it came out with something actually very relevant to my life as, as, as now. And that was the, the, the title that came up first was actually most popular YouTube videos based upon total global views as of February, 2021. And that is like, completely in my life right now. And it revealed that I'm not alone in my torture. I have two-year-old twins and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and I'm intimately familiar with the number one video, the baby shark dance. <laughs> um, so that, that brings me to my guest, <laughs> the honorary uncle to my children, who will soon learn the joy of YouTube children's videos. <laughs> How you doing, Dave? Yeah, I'm doing really well, Joseph. Thanks for having me on. All right. Yes, I know. We're going to talk about five obstacles you need to overcome to get someone to make a decision. But first of all, tell me, why should I trust you and tell me how to overcome obstacles in my content? Well, primarily it's because I'm a gray-haired white man and I have a puppy. That's <laughs> everything you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, I trust uh, the puppy. Okay, we can go forward. I trust the puppy. Honestly, yeah. So, no, no, the real reason why, Joseph, is that, you know, while you were thinking about SEO and marketing and all the great things that you do in your life, you know, I thought about how people think. And on top of that, I've interviewed about a thousand executives for jobs here and there, and I know how they think. And so using that combination of the academia and my experience with those thousand assessments, I think I have a pretty good handle on how to overcome some of their obstacles to decision-making. Great. And you've also, I think, been involved in producing a lot of content in your career. You know, like a television show, that sort of thing, right? True. Yeah. Um, yeah what was that television show again? Oh, it was, does someone have to go? You know, honestly, it was a great idea, but a perfect example of bad timing. When people were still, not hard, or when people were still having a hard time finding jobs, we made a show about firing people. So uh, we may not have had the best time, but it sure was a lot of fun to do. Well, that's good. Well, when we were talking about, um, you know, I had your, one of your uh, team members here last week and, and in the pro process, and because I got interested in the trust factor, but in the process, you introduced a concept about called RISPA that I thought would be very interesting uh, to talk to in the, context of, in the context of content. Can you go into what uh, does RISPA mean? Yeah, so for us, we, we created RISPA because we're not very good at creating acronyms. But yeah. it does roll off the tongue, um, and it shows or helps us remember that before somebody's going to make a decision to either use our services or buy our products, they have to jump through these five hoops internally or mentally. Mm -hmm. uh, would you like me to share with you what they are? Yeah, sure. Go for it. <laughs> now, so the, the first one is rejection. And when somebody sees your marketing message or they um, engage you in the sales, they know that, that you want something from them. They, they know that you want them to do something or take some action. And by our human nature, we don't want to be told what to do. We don't want to be influenced. And so our initial reaction is to reject the messenger. So mm. R stands for rejection. Once I've accepted the messenger and there's, there's some trust that comes into, into play there, 
um, then I'm indifferent to the message. And this is an emotional piece because it doesn't it doesn't mean that I'm I don't believe you yet or those kind of things, but I don't really care about the message until you can identify why that might be interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So then I've accepted you as a messenger. Second, um, I'm interested in what you have to say. My third um, thing is I'm skeptical. Can you really deliver for me what you promised? Right. So mm-hmm. RIS, skeptic's third. And then, then some strange things that are very unique to human beings happen. Even if I accept the messenger, want the product or service, and I uh, believe you can deliver, for some reason, I still procrastinate. Right? That has a little bit to do with my attention because I can only pay attention to one thing at a time. And if you move something else or something else comes into my attention span, I tend to forget about the decision I made a little bit ago. And finally, the, the A is anxiety. So there's something about signing on the dotted line or making that choice that makes us all just a little bit anxious. Mm-hmm. So risk up, rejection, indifference, skepticism, procrastination, and anxiety. And once I get to those hoops, the sales made. So how does um, something like this get developed? How do you discover this? How did how was it discovered? Do you know? Yeah. So it initially started with just some basic logic, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about it, as I say it, most of your listeners are going, ah, that makes sense. And if they think about the last time they were on a used car lot, Mm -hmm. they think, wow, you know, that saleswoman or salesman went through all those five things with me. So that's where it initially came to my mind. Um, And then we started to look at the the research. And there are some really great um, people out there from, you know, Caldini, who, um, or Cialdini, I'm not exactly sure how you pronounce his name, um, with, with his book on influence and some other pieces of research, it's easy to see how those five hoops are the, are the five that are out there. Cool. And have you used this in any kind of, what kind of context do you use this uh, for your, your, your business or your practice? Yep. So we use it in almost every situation where we want some, where we have some call to action. So it's how we structure our emails. It's how we structure our blogs. It's how we um, uh, structure and focus on our sales calls, even when we do our 15-minute introductions. Uh, Across the board, anytime I want somebody to do something, I'm using this structure. Mm -hmm. Cool. And do you train train your your writers and your people to use it, the structure? Yeah. As a matter of fact, when people start to do their – to write content for us originally – we use these five things as headings and mm-hmm. they, and then each section. Now, of course they don't show up as headings on our, on our content, but we use it as the outline. Cool. I mean, cause you know, a business, uh, you know, and I, you know, I've had, I've had experience scaling, you know, doing content development. So uh, it's, I think it, uh, it's great to know that it can be trained to people. Um, so when, when we get back, we're going to dig a little deeper into each one of these uh, these areas to understand how we can apply that to content. Yeah, I think you're going to find some really interesting uh, ideas coming up. All right, sounds good. Hello, it's Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the 
Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast and my uh, guest, Dr. Dave Popple. So Dave, in what ways can we overcome rejection if we're not there in person? You know, what's really interesting about this is you have just a fraction of time in order to jump through this hoop. Um, and there are some things, I, I made a little joke with the puppy earlier, but that made me somewhat likable, you know, because the puppy is a likable puppy. And that maybe overcame some rejection associated with the gray hair. So that, that's one, one opportunity to do it. But initially, that very first line has to focus the attention of the listener or the reader. So, for example, uh, we have a, a tool that does assessment in a new way. And mm -hmm. so we can get attention just by raising the question, um, are you the type of person that's um, open-minded about new technologies? So even though in reality, probably less, to less than half the population is, about 90 to 95% of the people are going to say that they are when asked a question. Then they're going to say, well, yeah, I am interested in new technologies. And that then gives us the chance to, to jump through the next hoop. Cool. So um, likability, what, you know, when you're writing, I guess, I mean, um, you know, I guess you could try and figure it out, but what do you, what, what clinically or behaviorally makes a message likable, you know, that people would interpret as likable. Yep. So initially, I think there's a good example. Maybe that's easier to show. Um, if you've been watching Geico commercials, um, Geico mm -hmm. has everything from a caveman to some lizard to uh, Rod Sterling type character. And all of their messages are just, we can save you 15% or more on car insurance. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of it's 30 minutes because they're using some form of humor to make them more interesting and more likable when all they really want to communicate to you is you can save 15% or more on car insurance. Mm -hmm. And the fact that I remember that they'll save me that amount of time, that amount of money on my car insurance, even though I don't use Geico shows just how effective that really is because they are so likable because what's not likable about a, a big eyed, you know, lizard, or a um, blast from my past through Rod Sterling. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you do in, a, um, say, what, if you're writing a, some sort of paragraph for your blog post, what do you do uh, instantly to make it likable? How do, what process do you go through? So what we do is we do something or try to say something that's going to be somewhat controversial. And this is something mm -hmm. I learned from Michael Shine, who's a, a really fantastic writer, just throw him a bone. You just wrote a book called the hype handbook. It's well worth people's time. But in that, um, in that he, he suggests that you have to throw something out there. That's just a little bit countercultural or a little bit counterintuitive. Um, that is something that creates some interest and likability almost immediately. So, mm -hmm. you know, we'll say something like, you know, your, your old ways of doing assessment no longer work. Um, Marshall Goldsmith, who's another consultant, says, what got you here won't get you there. These are all little things that go, ah, that's right. And immediately I want to hear a little bit more. So it's sort of taking um, a bold stand, you know, and, and making people have to confront it in one way or another. But because you're at least asking it, that makes you likable. That, uh, that's what makes you likable because it made me think. So that may, makes me ask if it, it does... Um, can you also use unlikability to get people to not reject you? 
So it's really interesting because there's a great saying, right? There's no such thing as bad press. There's only mm-hmm. press. And as long as somebody's on somebody's radar all the time, you're at least focusing their attention. Right. And, um, and, and for example, our, um, our ex-president somehow keeps showing up on the news, on CNN, in ways that we, you know, we never said. And, and in my opinion, maybe not the most likable guy, but he will not let us forget him. Right. right? That's maybe an example of how unlikability still focuses my attention on that message. Well, don't like most, uh, you know, most recruits in, uh, in uh, the army, when they go through with a drill sergeant, they don't really like them, but they end up to love and trust them, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that is a another thing because they, um, some people would consider that the Stockholm Syndrome. But what's really happening in that process is that they created some structure and some security. And that's what makes those people likable. Hmm. What well, that, that's cool. So um, that'd be, you know, I was looking at, uh, you know, I look at AI programs, right? And there's some that are trying to be, um, trying to analyze content and give you what the nature, what the, what it is. And what I saw actually today was, as they say, well, this content is full of joy. Now, how would they actually know that? I mean, I think joy would be something that's likable, right? What would what would you conceptually think is a way they would know that? Yeah. So. Um, AI doesn't come out of the atmosphere, right? There's mm-hmm. somebody somewhere that thinks that these words or this combination of words bring some amount of joy. And once those are then, once the machine is then taught that, mm-hmm. then the machine starts to associate related content to that phrase. And eventually it starts to make, you know, um, overarching decisions whether or not it's, it's joyful or not. So you think it's just based upon individual words, not the way word the way the words are put together? No, I do think the way the the words are put together, the use of um, exclamation marks combined with certain types of words, um, the how long sentences are versus how short sentences are, all these are things that AI picks up. Um, mm. In particular, joyful responses are short responses, um, and AI knows that because somebody taught it that. Cool. So, you know, you were talking about interests. Um, and this is, you know, this is interesting to me. If everybody's interests are differing, when we, when somebody comes to a piece of content, how can we overcome uh, this, er, this hurdle of difference with a marketing message? All right. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a secret here. And that is everybody's really not that different. Mm-hmm. And that I think is a really important to know because there are consultants and others who are making a living off of telling people that if you're in private equity, your, your business is so unique, it's got to have this type of message. Or if you're selling McDonald's, it's so unique. Um, but that's not really the case. Um, so there's two things, two ways I want to go with this. One is that um, our interests vary based on the situation. And that's where a guy named P.T. Barnum, who used to run the circus and had this great line called, there's a sucker born every minute. He knew that he could say something and know, even though they may be completely opposite, people would still endorse it. And it's called the Barnum effect. And so in marketing, um, you may say something to somebody like, um, hey, do you consider yourself to be a flexible person? And as the listener, I'm going to think about that time 
when I changed my mind or I made a different decision, I'm going to say, yeah, I'm flexible. And then they're going to, I'm going to endorse that idea. That same, that same uh, advertiser two hours later may say, you know, are you a person that sticks to their guns? And I'm going to say, yeah, I'm a person that sticks to my guns. It's exactly the opposite behavior. But because I, they've said it to me and I think about it, I'm going, yeah, that's me in both situations. That's called the Barnum effect. And that's how a marketer get, captures my interest because they're tapping in to some memory that I have when I behaved or acted that way. And that's how they tap into my interests. Oh, interesting. I guess that's, you ever seen the, uh, all those score, the, you know, the, the horoscopes and it goes through and every time they have one, it's, you look at it and say, well, that could be me. Is it, are they using that? Is they're making the positive statements? To, and, yeah. and, and you can think of the time that that applied to you. Yeah. Right? I'll give you a great example. Um, there's a show coming on HBO. It premiered last night, HBO Max, um, that talks about personality assessments. And, you know, what they're really focusing on is a particular test called the Myers-Briggs. And I think that you might have been at the house the other night when we were um, reading off the descriptions of the Myers-Briggs. There's 16 different types. And every single description, I'm going, yeah, that could be me. Yeah, that could be me. So even personality tests like the Myers-Briggs use this Barnum effect to get you to think that they've had some deep look into your soul when really you're just recognizing the parts of you that, that were true at any given time within that description. So you could, you could uh, in a sense that you could start a, uh, couldn't you start a, a, a message, a, a, an article or a video or something like that to make some sort of statement that you're a person that's flexible. I know that, right? Mm -hmm. right? And they would go, yeah. And they would think then this is for them, correct? Exactly. That's exactly how it's, how it's done. Oh, that's a, that's a clever, that's a clever uh, way to have a, in your pocket, to, the way to start something. Yep. Uh, and then a little later, change it around and do something else. So it worked for the other person, right? <laughs> you could. And, and, you know, maybe this is, a, I need to, should at least make this, um, this uh, note. Part of the issue here is that when you take these tools and place them into the hands of people that lack ethics, these can be really dangerous. And mm -hmm. so uh, that's why I've become a little bit nervous about sharing some of the ideas, because if somebody that wanted to influence for bad, um, these, I mean, this could definitely happen. I think we've seen that in some situations in our politics. Um, but if you take the approach that when I sell or market, if I do that ethically, I'm just solving a problem, um, then these things can be really valuable. Well, wouldn't you say, though... Um... That that information is going to get out anyway. Wouldn't it be better to educate people about what's being used to manipulate them, so that they can then understand it when they see it? Yeah, that's that's what Robert Caldini's original idea was when he wrote the book Influence. And I had a conversation with him, and what he told me was that um, I wrote this book because I wanted to protect people against undue influence. Mm -hmm. However, nobody from a consumer protection agency ever wrote to him and asked him about it. Instead, it was sales organizations and marketing organizations and even some political organizations. Those are the ones that started to, to ring his phone. Uh, so yes, in the, we should all be educated about how we're nudged in, in directions, um, mm -hmm. but it seems like consumer protection agencies just aren't that interested. 
Okay, cool. Well, when I get we get back, we're gonna. I'm gonna ask you about something you mentioned when we were talking, and that's what is the nudging theory and how that affects interests. And we have to get through a lot of information here, so uh, we'll, we'll we'll try to do it in the next segment for the most part. All right, talk to you soon. Good. This is Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast. I'm my guest, Dr. Dave Popple. So, Dave, I, I, when we're uh, when we're talking about uh, getting somebody's in- interest, we're also we're talking about uh, overcoming their indifference, correct? Yes, that's absolutely how it works. Okay, cool. I'm trying to keep us matched to the uh, the acronym. Um, so, you had mentioned something about nudging theory, and when you mentioned it, I sort of shook my head. Uh, in, in our conversation like I knew it because I always like to pretend like I'm smart, but I don't know what it is. And how does that affect our interests? <laughs> so there, there's a fantastic book written about nudge and it's used in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, the first time I ever remember seeing it was walking through the grocery store and noticing that all the high margin items are right at my eye length or right where I would go. And then the low margin items tend to be on the floor or on the shelves where I can't see. So that was the first experience I ever had with nudge. Um, And then I would go to some of these chain restaurants and all of the high margin menu items show up at the beginning Mm. and all the low margin item stuff is at the, is at the back. And so these are some really small examples of nudge and what they are um, are unconscious activities that cause us to focus our attention on something that we may or may not have um, focused on before. Um, so how would that affect uh, interest in content? Well, um, it has to do in sometimes where you place some of the focal items within the, um, within the messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be as simple as putting things in the center upper right corner. So not in the far upper right, but, just a little bit to the right. Uh, that that where is one of the areas we tend to look at first, and I'm not sure why that is neurologically, but it happens. Um, but but there are a lot of ways that this is used, and, and we're just not even aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. And I have a I have an example, and I'm a little bit um, reticent to share with you, but um, oh, I'm on. assuming now that it's been enough. It's been a long enough time where I can can confess this. So this is one of those uh, never before confessed on a radio show. Da 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 da. Um, you mentioned earlier that we had there that I had a TV show, and part of that TV show was one in which um, you could pick or the team pick three people that might be fired from that company. And our very very first show. Um, we, it was set up in such a way where there were two people that very likely should have been fired and they got the, the first and second most votes among all the participants in the show. But then there was a tie for the third and the fourth. And in that situation, the, the tie was between the mother of the owner and then another person who was exactly like the first two well, this is reality TV and we want the show to be interesting. And it's a lot more interesting when the employees have the potential of firing the mother than just firing another guy on the show. Right. So all I did 
was we redid the ballots. We took the worst guy, put him on the top of the ballot, right? We took the mother, put her second. We took the second worst guy, put him third, and then dropped the other guy down, down towards the bottom of the ballot. That caused seven people to change their vote wow. with no other intervention. So that's an example of just how powerful it is based on where you place things and put things that you're able to nudge people into thinking something where they thought it was their idea and it wasn't. They were so, nudged into it. So in content, if you put the, the conclusions that they, you want them to reach closer to the top of, say, a series of possible things, or whatever that would be, or, you know, when you say, what are the most, uh, 10 most important things to do to market and you put SEO number one, you know, they're more likely to think that SEO is the, one of the top ones. Exactly. All right. That a, that's a great example of it. Yeah. All right. Great. Um, so you've got their interest. Now, how do you overcome their, um, their uh, skepticism? How do you show proof that you can, you can meet those interests? This is, this is where there are two distinct ways that people consume this information. Um, one has to do with numbers. And people have an assumption that if you're throwing out some numbers, that it must be right. right? And part of that is because it takes a lot of energy for us to think these things through on our own. And if we, if we spend time putting that much thinking time into every single decision we made, We'd be constantly exhausted and we'd make very few decisions. So when somebody comes along and they say 87% of people did this and 52 did this and you can make, you know, 850,000 more, a million dollars a year, anytime they start to throw around numbers, there's a subset of the population that automatically sees that as proof, even if they don't check the, the data. I see. And then there's another set that wants to hear a story. And so if you can just tell them a story about somebody who won or felt better or was more successful, and even if you don't use numbers, if they can put themselves mentally into that story, then that's enough proof for them. So two things. One is numbers. The second is getting people to put themselves into the story. So in that, um, that first story I mentioned about social proof being the, you know, reviews and customer testimonials being the second most uh, uh, useful content for moving people through the B2B funnel, uh, which do you think that, where, what, what, which of those triggers do you think it triggers, the st stats or the story? You know, to me, that's just, that sounds like a number to me, because you uh -huh. need the second, right? Well, well, testimonials would be somebody, there'd be like several people going, oh, the testimonials would be somebody saying, oh, I worked, used this company and it was great, that sort of thing. Yeah. It, you know, it would be a number you, of reviews. Yeah. Anytime you can integrate the two, that, mm -hmm. that, that goes that a long way. So you think that would be highly effective in terms of overcoming skepticism? Yeah. And there's a, there's a great word that, that we use a lot, and that's, we say imagine. You know, imagine in two years, your business grew by twice as much. Mm -hmm. now, that All of a sudden, I'm, I'm two years ahead. I'm thinking about my business being more successful. And I'm, I'm much more interested and are much more believing that I can get there because I can now picture it in my head. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think you, you've successfully done it, but you've held up a little puppy dog at the beginning. Uh, you know, and, and we're cute and cuddly, but then you've established that you really know what you're talking about. Is there a trade-off between likability and credibility? 
I think you definitely have to balance the two because uh, it's there was the potential, right, that this could have been um, a very dense academic type thing, especially when you when you introduce me as Dr. Popple, people immediately uh, believe that they're not really going to understand what I'm talking about anyways. So hopefully, once they got a taste of my personality and they realized that it wasn't going to be their assumption, um, that that likability led us into that uh, into a more um, relevant you know, dialogue. All right. And you know what? I apologize to the people that are only listening on the uh, on the audio. I forgot to mention that he was holding up a puppy. <laughs> but at the beginning, that's what he was doing. Um, so, Dave, we all procrastinate. So how can we get people to act and not just listen? Yep. So Joseph, this is the crux of it now. <laughs> let, let's talk about these last two together, right? Because right. we talk about procrastination and anxiety because the solution to them both is the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. So for procrastination, there has to be some sense of urgency, which means that if I don't act now, I'm going to lose an opportunity. It's, it's one of those things why, you know, if you get the, the phone call from the telemarketer, you know, this opportunity expires at midnight, right? Or a car dealer says, I can only hold this car. Or there were, there were three other people looking at the same car today. What they're trying to do is to create some sense of urgency in me, which is some anxiety. And now I've got some anxiety and I want to act, but my anxiety level is still high. So I need to do something as the marketer or the salesperson to bring that anxiety down into a zone where it's enough that I remember to act, but not so much that I panic and freeze. Uh -huh. that, that's how the two work together. And so the, the urgency is what I, the way that I um, create that is the idea that there's going to be a lost opportunity if I don't act. Mm -hmm. The anxiety is really simple. All you have to do is quickly summarize what you did to overcome rejection, indifference, and skepticism. Mm -hmm. So I might say something like, you know, Joseph, you and I have known each other for a long time. And I know you really like IPA beers, right? And I have found an IPA beer that you're really going to love. As a matter of fact, the last 10 people I gave it to, nine of them said it was the best they'd ever had. Mm -hmm. right? So what I did there very quickly is I just summarized those three things. And now when I make the ask, Joseph, would you like to buy a six-pack of this IPA beer for me? Um, it's not such a terrible decision, even if I'm asking twice the price. I see. Cool. So, so that's, uh, yeah, I, now you've set my mind racing. I'm trying to figure out how to now start applying it <laughs> in, uh, in, in what I do. Well, um, I know you're coming over tonight and I do have some IPAs in the refrigerator for you. Yeah, so, yeah. so, you know, you're really to make the taking how you do a rational pro approach to what is, essentially a subconscious activity, buying decisions are a subconscious activity. Um, so if we give them, um, if we give them rational reasons to buy, should, should we actually trust their decision? Especially if you're in a, a, you're in a, you're in a buying process that, you know, it's not an instantaneous transaction, but you're going to commit a lot of resources to them 
um, to them uh, and the, the buying process with them? Should you just trust that they've really made that decision if they did it on re rational reasons that you gave them? No, and I'll tell you why. Most buying decisions, I don't say all, but most buying decisions are made based on irrationality and then justified with their reasoning abilities instead of it being the other way around. So what you, when you are giving things like numbers and stories and showing proof, all you're really doing is giving their brain the ammunition they need to justify the decision they already made out of an irrational process. All right, cool. All right, so uh, we'll come back. It's going to be the final uh, segment. We'll just uh, finish up, uh, you know, so you can summarize some things that might be worthwhile for our readers to know and to tell us a little bit about what you do and, uh, and then uh, and go from there. Sounds good. It's Joseph Franklin McElroy back with the Wise Content Creates Wealth podcast and my guest, Dr. Dave Popple. So Dave, you've just given us a mind blown us with a lot of information about um, this RISPA uh, concept. Um, and, you know, now I'm trying, I, you know, you started mentioning things and all of a sudden my mind goes off to start having to use this and, you know, how to you know, put it into some sort of process of content production how would you approach telling a company to, um, you know, em employ some of these techniques and with their writers to get them to think about it and, 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 and put it into content? So I think there's a couple of ways. Um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that you can use them as headings. Mm -hmm. And then once you've, you've written your um, content, you then erase the heading. So that I think is probably the easiest way to do it. Um, for companies that are a little more creative, there's a game that you can play mm -hmm. in which a person um, can continue to talk through their message and another person listening to the message, you know, either with a red or green flag or, or whatever they want to do to signal, once they feel like they've jumped through the hurdle, they signal, okay. And then that triggers the person to practice by getting into the next hurdle. Mm -hmm. And then once they've jumped over that hurdle, boom, again, and they just go through it. So it, what that does is it allows us to have another person giving us some feedback as to how we're doing and jumping through the hurdle, but it also helps us do these things in order because one of the mistakes that I see over and over and over again is people jump right into proof because that's what they're good at. Mm -hmm. they, they forget to connect to me and overcome rejection. They forget to talk about my interests. Instead, they just want to talk to me about all their data that suggests they can do it. And by then I don't care. So that's that those two tools I think are really quite effective. So interesting. I, you know, you think about that. I think that's, that, that, that is, that is true. Um, that do they, do they also just stick to proof? Do they try to overcome anxiety? Uh, is, that, is that another thing that they don't do? You know, especially people that um, like, like in our field, we only have um, doctorally trained psychologists. That means that we spend a lot of time in the rational and tend to ignore the, the irrational because of the academic part, not because of the psychology part. Um, and so they do forget that there's a, an emotional component to this buying, and they do stick with the proof, and they get confused 
when they've given you like 15 different case studies, why are you still not, you know, pulling the trigger? Mm -hmm. So uh, aside from your uh, PhD thesis, <laughs> what is the what is the piece of content you think has had the biggest impact upon your life, your professional career? Well, that's a good question. Um, so for me, it's 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 mostly books, um, and this is an old one, um, but it's called the failure of nerve. And the reason why the failure of nerve had such an impact on me is that it overcome my came my initial rejection because it was connected to the theorists that I most was interested in. So that initially I wanted to listen. It overcame my indifference because I wanted to be a better leader. And so initially the book immediately spoke to my ability to be a better leader and it was very counterintuitive. And then it overcame my skepticism because the, the theoretical background to this has, is so solid that uh, it, it made a lot of sense. And the person who originally wrote it was doing consulting for you know five or six different major governments, including Russia and the United States, which I thought was unique. Um, so that book had a big impact on me. And that's how it jumped through the RISPA formula to get me um, to be interested. Cool. So uh, let's let's do some uh, let's do some self promoting now. All right. So you have three different businesses, right? Uh, essentially. So you want to talk about Cynet Group first? Sure. So Cynet Group is um, is focuses on three different things. We have uh, a tool that helps us with assessment. That tool was built um, based on the back of a thousand executive uh, assessments that I've done. Um, every assessment in it took over 2,000 hours to a volunteer time. So it's about 14,000 hours altogether uh, put into it. And we really cared about the user experience. So it takes about 40% less time than the average assessment would take that would gain the same amount of information. So the, the first part of it is this assessment gathering information. The second part that um, we're really excited about is that we've gone into organizations and started to structure them in a way that the work is more satisfying as well as the company being more optimized. And it has to do with things like um, creating an advice culture where only one person makes a decision, but they get advice from all the stakeholders. Um, it has to do with flattening out the hierarchy. It has to do with the natural meritocracy, meaning um, I'm rewarded on the value I create for the, for the company. So those structures and restructuring is really, um, really powerful. Um, and then finally, we do leadership development and coaching. Um, we use a neurological model called Asia, in which we create awareness. We struggle uh, along with the person to come up with um, the best insights, which is the I in Asia. And then finally, we hold them accountable to the action plan. So those three things, assessments of individuals, organizations, and teams, um, developing the, the best possible structures for optimization, and finally, doing that leadership development and coaching. That's what Synac Group is all about. So would you be able to do assessments of, say, people uh, were trying to find writers and content producers that would find out if they'd be a good fit, they would be able to produce the right kind of content with a communicated message for that company? Would you be able to do that? We could, we could do it. And there's two, two things we look at. Um, one, we want to look to see if the person's capable in the role. And second, are they going to be a good fit for that company? Mm. So... Um, you wouldn't hire somebody that writes fluff pieces 
for uh, you know an academic journal, right? They're going to get laughed on. Nobody will pay attention. The same person you wouldn't write an, use an academic writer to you know to build some excitement or interest in something. So that that's where the culture fit is. So both can write, um, but the the fit is really crucial. Cool. Then your other your another one of your businesses is the software, right? So the the software is Sybil, and Sybil is that technology. Um, that does about half the work for us when we do these um, organizational assessments. Uh, and that's where I mentioned with the hours that it, that it took into it. Um, Civil is, you know, we really believe that we're on the, uh, on the bleeding edge of technology right now. Um, we, we made it simple, but it goes deep. Cool. And then you have facticity. Yeah, facticity is, uh, was, was kind of a vanity project um, that started about five years ago when my partner, Danny Gonzalez, and I realized that there were a lot of unhappy 40-year-olds out there. And the reason why they were so unhappy is because when they were 17, 18, 19, 20, they made a decision about their career that didn't, didn't really fit them. And so facticity um, takes that, those old career assessments that tell you you're supposed to be a forest ranger or a librarian or something like that. And we took it to the next level. And instead of connecting it to just a small number of jobs, we connected to over 12,000 um, job types, over 10,000 job titles. Great. Well, thank you, Dave, for being a guest on, the, on my podcast. And I'll, and I'll be seeing you this evening <laughs> for a great, uh, great barbecue. Dave uh, does, really is a great cook as well. So appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joseph. So um, we're on the talkradio.nyc network. I, I want to recommend you watch the other podcasts on the network. Following us is, uh, uh, I think, Jeremy Fox, host of the Entrepreneurial Web. I have another podcast on this network called Gateway to the Smokies. I'm involved in the hospitality industry. I have a, a resort motel in the mountains of North Carolina, and that's on Tuesdays from uh, 6 to 7. And my, my company is Galileo Tech Media. Uh, we are the people to call when you need wise content, smart SEO, and editorial link building. We give you confidence to grow your business and the freedom to scale your team. Reach us at GalileoTechMedia.com. This uh, podcast is also uh, streamed live on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Wise Content Creates Wealth. Uh, and also on WiseContentCreatesWealth.com, you can get access to transcripts. And, 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 and recordings of the previous podcast. You can uh, listen live on iTunes and various things after the fact, not live, but you can listen after the fact on iTunes, on talkradio.nyc and other podcast networks. Next week, we're going to have Jess Novak, Nowak, who's a director of strategic accounts and global agency partnerships at the Enterprise a software solution called Bright Edge, which we at Galileo Tech Media use uh, very well. And she's going to talk about things like smart content, uh, ideation with artificial intelligence. Um, and uh, I think it will be a great show. Uh, she's very smart and she knows uh, a lot about uh, this space. So I look forward to seeing you next week uh, at, uh, from, on, for, on talkradio.nyc from uh, 1 p.m. to 2. Thank you very much and talk to you next week.